as the Kalam cosmological argument. That's what we're going to be. That's what I'm going to be giving to you right now here. Okay. And um, when we're dealing with uh, what is the cosmos, what is a cosmological argument? Um, there's, it comes from a, a two group, two Greek words. Uh, first of all, it's cosmos, which means universe and logia, which means reason. So really what we're doing in this argument is we are reasoning from the universe. We're looking at the universe and we're reasoning. That's what we're doing. This is a philosophical uh, endeavor right now. So what this argument, what this cosmological argument is going to attempt to do is uh, to argue from creation, which reasons from the fact or the effect of the existence of the universe to a cause of it or to a beginner of the universe. Okay, so here's how the syllogism goes. Here's how the argument is stated. First of all, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Good so far? Number two, the universe had a beginning. Number three, therefore, the universe has a cause. Okay? Now, here's what this argument does. You got the universe here. It either had no beginning or it had a beginning. Okay? If it had a beginning, it's not eternal. If it did not have a beginning, it's eternal. It's always been. Okay? Secondly, the beginning. This beginning of the universe was either caused or it was not caused. Okay? Thirdly, this cause was either personal or impersonal. Okay? So you see the disjunction that's going on there. So let's look at the first premise. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. This is self-evident. Um, you know, so if somebody wants to refute uh, this premise, uh, it's completely and totally their turn to, to tell us why uh, this can't be. Uh, you know, make this, the person that's opposing you show you why this premise is not logically coherent. Um, for example, if somebody would object and say there's no need for a cause, okay, you can respond by saying, first, this is contrary to the established principle of causality, which is that every effect has a cause. Duh, right? Every effect has a cause, right? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number two, it's contrary to to the scientific enterprise, uh, which always seeks a causal explanation for any phenomenon. And number three, it's also counterintuitive. Think about this. Nothing ever comes from nothing. Nothing can come from nothing. Because nothing does not exist. Okay? So, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Second premise. The universe had a beginning. Okay? The, the fact of the universe having a beginning, we, we want to we back this up both philosophically and scientifically. First of all, philosophically. Um, time. We are time-bound creatures, and we don't really know what time is. It's a metaphysical question. What is time? Time cannot go back into the past forever because it's impossible to pass through an actual infinite number of moments, not a potential infinite number of moments, an actual. In other words, in reality, when you're talking about something that is infinite, by the way I'm using it, it has no beginning. And if it has no beginning, you could never arrive to now. The fact that we do have what's called now argues for time. Argues for the beginning of time. Um, for example, each moment that passes uses up real time that we can never experience again. I can never experience again drinking my cup of tea at 5.30, going over my notes in the cafe. It's gone. 
And contrary to, you know, popular science, like Back to the Future, okay, um, you, you know, you, you can imagine it, you can theorize it. In actuality, you, you can't do it. Show me. Show me that it's actually been done. Anyway, burden of proof's on you, not on me. Um, we could ne- think about this. If we're moving our, uh, for example, if we're moving our fingers across an infinite number of books, let's say there's a library right there, and there's an infinite number of books. See how I'm using the word infinite? It's like, well, there's, there's no first. So if you can't get to the first, I can't get to the second. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Well, as time-bound creatures, this, is, this, is, this isn't easy for me either, okay? So just bear with me. But, but, but so if it doesn't have a beginning, then there's no way I can get to now. I can't get to this moment, okay? So we could never finish, we could never finish an infinite series of real things because it never has a beginning. If this is true, then time must have had a beginning. It must have had a beginning. If the world never had a beginning, then we could never have reached right now. Okay? But we have reached this present moment. We have uh, reached right now. So time must have had a specific beginning point and, and come to today. Therefore, the world is finite. It's not infinite. The world is a finite event and needs a cause for its beginning. That's, that's the philosophic uh, um, argumentation, okay? Now, the scientific grounds for this um, is essential. We can see it in, in, in two things. First of all, it's the law of entropy, also known as the second law of thermodynamics. You, you've heard of that. I'm sure you have. Um, and also the Big Bang Theory, and I'm not talking about a TV show, okay? So first of all, the second law of thermodynamics is this, that in a closed, isolated system, for example, the universe, the amount of usable energy is running down. And because it's running down, it can't be eternal. For example, earlier I had a hot cup of tea. As time went by, that hotness started coming to room temperature. Okay? It's losing its energy. That heat is energy. It was losing it. So when things are left to themselves, they tend toward disorder. They tend to disorder without outside intelligent intervention. And since the universe has not reached a state of total disorder, this process has not been going on forever. Some, someone or something is maintaining it. Okay? So, and, and you know, how many of you have kids? Okay. Um, you know, you can tell your kids a thousand times a day, well, you, you know, this is how I want your room to look. You know, this is, you know, I'm going to organize it for you. I'm going to organize. I did this in my family. I've organized my whole family. And it's just like the, the, law of second, uh, the, the, the second law of thermodynamics is rampant in my home. You know, things go from order to chaos quickly if they are not tended. And that's just the way it is. Okay. So um, second law of thermodynamics is one way that um, shows that the universe had a beginning but also the Big Bang Theory. Now, according to this theory, uh, it is the view that the universe exploded into being some 15 to 20 billion years ago. Uh, now, if the time, you know, advanced here troubles you, don't worry. I mean, in the church, there's a movement called, uh, there are uh, Christians who are young earth creationists, and there are other Christians that uh, hold to an old earth that the earth is not just 6,000 or 10,000 years old. But uh, by looking at the scientific data, uh, it seems like this universe is really, really old. But the age of the universe does not help the Darwinian uh, naturalistic uh, view as far as 
how we got here. Because the fact that you have time, it's not about me, you having more time in order to explain how we got here. Because kind reproduces in kind. And the problem is, in, in the evolutionary theory, is, you know, how do you get a mind from matter? Because one is physical and one is immaterial. It's not. That is a huge problem. But anyway, so the, the Big Bang Theory says um, that uh, there once was a time when the cosmos came into being. Okay? Now, this is a cosmological model which is accepted by the vast majority of research scientists because of the extensive astronomical evidence uh, and the test, the successful testing that they've done. Now, right here, right what I've just told you right now, I'm going on authority. I'm not an astronomer. You know, what the heck is a light year? How do they measure it? I don't know. And I'm okay with it. I'm all right with it. But what the Big Bang Theory demonstrates is this, is that the universe is not eternal. Okay? The second law of thermodynamics, again, shows that the universe is not eternal. It is not infinite. It is finite. And so does this Big Bang Theory. It demonstrates that at a specific time, the universe came into being. So, our syllogism, so whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe had a beginning, conclusion. Therefore, the universe... Uh, no. Uh, so whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe um, uh, has a cause. Okay? So what is this cause? Is this cause personal or is this cause impersonal? And an analogy I like to use is pointing out the difference between natural causation versus agent causation. And... Um, any, any of you ever uh, visit, uh, for example, Arches National Park uh, in Utah? It's gorgeous. Uh, you can clearly see that, um, you know, uh, the erosion of water and wind through time has sculpted these beautiful um, rocks. They're cathedrals. They're gorgeous. Uh, so th- th- that is one example of natural causation. Agent causation, you got Mount Rushmore. Clearly, somebody sculpted Mount Rushmore. Okay? Now, um, you might be, you know, and, and a Christian might object and say, well, hold on a second. God controls the elements. So, in some sense, you know, God gave form to those uh, rocks. And I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't. I don't. But um, anyway, so what you've got here is uh, the difference between an impersonal, just for the sake of argument, you've got an impersonal cause as opposed to a personal cause. And um, so when we define our terms and we give this kind of an argument, we are uh, showing that it looks like, you know, not only did the universe have a beginning, and not only was it caused, but it looks like a mind is behind it. And you have th- th- that to, um, to, to go on. Now, the question is, are there other options that don't involve a divine creator? And there are. And let's go through them. First of all, option one, the universe somehow created itself. That's an option that sometimes people want to hold to. Um, but this conclusion is irrational. Because in order to create itself, the universe would have to exist before it existed. Do you see the absurdity? Do you see how irrational it is? Do you see how the dots don't connect? Uh, It's contradictory. Uh, Because something cannot both exist and not exist at the same time and in the same sense. Okay, option two. The universe popped into existence out of nothing and from nothing or from no one. Again, this is irrational. Why? Because nothing ever comes from nothing. Okay, Uh, an effect can never be greater than its cause. In this case, the cause would be nothing. The fact is that from nothing, nothing comes. To conclude, 
contrarily, would be to violate one of the foundational principles of the scientific enterprise, which is causality. So that doesn't make any sense. A third option, there's a multiple universes. Okay? This view suggests that there's an eternal mechanism in physics um, it may, uh, in, uh, where uh, universes pop into existence one after the other. Okay, now, first of all, the problem with this is it's really speculative, and you can't falsify it. It's just a theory. One of the things you want to consider when you're trying to get at the truth of a truth claim is can I falsify the claim? If I can't falsify the claim, I'm not going to take it seriously as a truth claim. You can hold it, but there's no reason why I'm going to come underneath that truth claim. Fourth option, other cosmologies, uh, specifically uh, those of uh, Eastern religions uh, are, are a fourth option. And the problem with their cosmologies in other ways how they reason about the universe is that they deny the very existence of the universe. They hold to, like strands of Hinduism, for example, that the universe is just an illusion. So we can safely discard their view. It doesn't comport to reality. Well, my question now is, how does Christianity stand the test with the scientific evidence? First of all, the God of Scripture is personal. He's a personal, causal agent behind the universe. And this statement comports well with the scientific data. There's something in Christian theology called creation ex nihilo. Okay? Creation ex nihilo is the, 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 the doctrine that God, who is infinite, eternal, and he's a personal spirit, he has immeasurable wisdom and power and knowledge brought the universe into existence, brought in all the matter, the energy, the time and the space into existence out of nothing. Not from any pre-existing matter. He brought it in out of nothing and he, he sustains its existence. Now, the child that's thinking, like a good philosopher at five or four years old, may say, well, then who created God, Daddy? Who created God? And my response is, well, God is not a creature. God is not finite. The question only applies to finite creatures, things that haven't always been. The fact that God is an infinite being who has never had a beginning or end, the question doesn't apply. And we will never understand how has God always been. I don't know. I don't know. So you've got creation ex nihilo. For example, in Romans 4.17, he gives life... um, he gives life the, uh, to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17 says of Jesus this, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 11 verse 3 continues and says this. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, God who is spirit created out of nothing the physical. That's what that is saying. So God doesn't only uniquely account for the physical universe's beginning, but also for the order, complexity, and design evident in the universe. So this is our second big um, topic here.
And I want to talk about two things here. Okay, that he, that God uniquely, uniquely accounts for the order, complexity, and the design that is evident in the universe. And there's two things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the anthropic principle and then the whole idea of DNA. What is DNA and what is it telling us? Okay, so first of all, what's the anthropic principle? The anthropic principle states that the universe was fitted from the very first moment of his existence for the emergence of life in general and human life in particular to exist. Comes from the Greek anthropos, anthropic, talking about humanity. Agnostic astronomer Robert Jastrow noted that the universe is amazingly pre-adapted to the eventual appearance of humanity. For even if there were even the slightest variation at a moment at the moment of the Big Bang, making conditions different, even to a small degree, no life of any kind would exist. In order for life to be present today, an incredibly restrictive set of demands must have been present in the early universe, and they were. The anthropic principle seems to say that science itself has proven as a hard fact that this universe was made, was designed for man to live in. It's a very theistic result. So what evidence supports the anthropic principle? I'm going to just read five of them, okay? Number one, oxygen. Oxygen comprises 21% of the atmosphere. That is the whole mass of air surrounding the earth. If it were 25%, um, fires would erupt. If it were 15%, human beings would suffocate. But it comprises exactly 21% of the atmosphere. That's what the oxygen comprises, 21% of the atmosphere. If we were at 25%, we'd have fires. If we were at 15%, we would choke. Secondly, the expansion of the universe. If the universe was expanding at a rate one millionth, I don't even understand these numbers, one millionth more slowly than it is, the temperature on earth would be 10,000 degrees Celsius. We couldn't live on Earth. Burn up. How about the Earth's crust? If the thickness of the Earth's crust was greater, too much oxygen would be transferred to the crust to support life. If it were thinner, volcanic and tectonic activity would make life untenable. How about its rotation, the Earth's rotation? If the rotation of the Earth took longer than 24 hours, temperature differences would be too great between night and day. If the rotation period was shorter, atmospheric wind velocities would be too great. Man, we would be having tornadoes, hurricanes, just creating havoc. How about this? This, this should interest us Californians, the Earth's seismic activity. If there were more seismic activity, much life would be lost. Duh. But if there was less seismic activity... Nutrients on the ocean floors and in the river runoffs would not be cycled back to the continents through tectonic uplift. Earthquakes, are you ready for this? Earthquakes are necessary to sustain life on earth as we know it. So what's a reasonable conclusion? Well, the scientific community has contributed to this, to heightening our intuition that the universe is not here by chance, but it is here by design. Uh, even the staunchest atheists in the scientific community admit that the universe exhibits amazing order, complexity, and design, intelligibility that can't be denied. So the anthropic principle supports the view that there's a designer that's behind the order and the complexity that we can observe in the universe. But so does the DNA evidence. Neo-Darwinist Richard Dawkins, when responding to a scientific theory called intelligent design, says of living organisms that they give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Okay? But for Dawkins and other contemporary Darwinists, this is merely an illusion. Okay? Why? Because wholly that is completely undirected processes such as natural selection and random mutations can produce the intricate design like structures in living systems. Okay. 
intelligent design proponent and author Stephen C. Meyer says that in contrast, the theory of intelligent design holds that there are telltale features of living systems and the universe that are best explained by an intelligent cause. That is, by the conscious choice of a rational agent rather than by an undirected process. This theory does not base its views on biblical authority, but infers its position from the scientific evidence. And there's a big debate uh, in the scientific community with uh, intelligent design, and they're, they're trying to reduce it to just religious fanaticism cloaked in science uh, talk, but in fact it's not. Nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, um, so DNA is evidence. What, what, what is DNA? What, what's the evidence? Well, in a nutshell, DNA was discovered by James Watson and Francis Crick, uh, I think in the 50s. It is an extremely complex molecule which contains a very specific arrangement of parts. Um, it reveals how the cell stores. It reveals how the cell stores and transmits hereditary information. Okay. It stores information using a four-character chemical alphabet. It is the assembly instructions. It is the assembly instructions for building the crucial protein molecules and machines the cell needs to survive. So first of all, DNA is coded language. DNA is coded language. Uh, like the exactly arranged zeros and ones in a computer program, for example, the chemical bases in DNA convey information in virtue of their specificity. So the DNA um, in my body, um, I'm going to reproduce a certain kind of child as we have. We have three children, and they look a certain way. There's no way they could have looked... Otherwise, based on the DNA in my body. It's fascinating. Um, uh, Richard Dawkins, again, says, The machine code of the genes is uncannily computer-like. And Bill Gates says this. He says more than that. He says DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created so it's a language but it's also an enigma okay we in, in in other words we know what it is but we do not know from where it came just like we know about the big bang but you know what preceded the big bang the big bang was an effect okay the dna the information in it is in effect. There's something behind the DNA code, that language. And it's a puzzle, and it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, one origin of life researcher said this, the problem of the origin of life is clearly equivalent to the problem of biological information. And the fact is this, that the more we know and the more we uncover the more problems naturalism has as a worldview. Now, Watson and Crick solved the mystery, um, the, the secret of how the cell stores and transmits hereditary information, but they did not solve the mystery of the origin of the information needed to build the first living organism. And the fact is, what is information? We value it, don't we? We're, we're here. We have books. We have computers, all based on information. We make decisions of where we're going to live and who we're going to marry or what job we're going to take based on information. Well, what is information? Well, information originates in thought from a conscious or intelligent being. It comes from conscious, intelligent activity. It invariably reflects the prior activity of conscious, intelligent persons. So here, so I said all this to say this. What makes for the best explanation? That the DNA information came from random, purposeless, uncomplex to the complex? 
Does it come from mindless chance or does it come from an intelligent agent? You know, what do you say? Is it the fact that it just appears to be designed but it's not? Does that satisfy? Does that satisfy you as an explanation? So embracing the grand evolutionary view raises some serious questions. Can we trust what we're observing, in fact, to be telling us that we're in touch with reality? Or can we not? People don't generally accept the idea that information, knowledge, and truth can come from random accidental sources, do they? No, we don't do that. Now, there are two models to consider. Okay? Two models to consider. One is the naturalistic, atheistic model, and the other one is the biblical, theistic model. I'm not going to go through all of them. You're going to get my notes, but let me just do a, a few of them. The naturalistic, atheistic model says that the world was created from nothing. How do you get something from nothing? The biblical theistic model says the world was created by a creator. Okay? Naturalistic. Life came from non-life. Biblical. Life came from ultimate life. Naturalistic. Persons come from non-persons. Biblical. Persons come from the super-personal. Atheistic. Minds come from non-minds. Biblical. Minds come from the ultimate mind. And I can just go on and on and on. Uh, code comes from a non-programmer. Code comes from a personal programmer. What makes more sense? What's a better explanation? How do we make sense out of these things? Ken Sample said it well. He said, naturalism, in effect, purports that life, the mind, personhood, and reason came from a source that lacked each of these profound faculties and qualities. This would certainly be an effect much greater than its cause. And if there's one thing we know, is that an effect is never greater than its cause. So the anthropic principle and DNA supports the notion that God uniquely accounts for the complexity, order, and design in the universe. But there's one last thing, and we'll be done. God also uniquely accounts for the enigma that is man. We are a conundrum to ourselves, are we not? You ever wake up in the morning and go, why did you do that? Where did that come from? You ever break your own rules? An important condition for accepting a religion as true is its ability to account for and explain the critical realities confronted in everyday life. And the enigma that human beings are uh, is definitely a critical issue. This really needs to concern us. Um, Christian thinker Blaise Pascal said this of man, that we are an unusual mixture of greatness and wretchedness. Um, being at the same time both the glory and the rubbish of the universe. <laughs> and, and as uh, you know, it, it's true. Uh, for example, cap- uh, human beings are capable of great things. We are. We're capable of great achievements in the area of math, science, technology, philosophy, arts, in, in humanitarian aid. I mean, you got a Mother Teresa, for example, right? This is directly because we are created in God's image. But what happened? Well, as image bearers, mankind reflects the glory of its maker. This means that in many respects, man is godlike, especially when compared to the animals in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Uh, clearly, human beings were the only creation that was created in God's image. And among the many things that that means, one of them is we can think. We can reason, we can plan, we can design. Okay? So we are capable of great things, but unfortunately we're also capable of shameful and evil acts. We can perform heinous evil acts, uh, rape, robbery, uh, racism, slavery, mass murder. We produce a Hitler as well. Now, Now how is this? How can this be? Well, Genesis 3 explains how we got here. It's called the fall. Adam misused his freedom to rebel against God. And what resulted was he suffered 
alienation from God. Okay? So the human race has been entirely affected by Adam's disobedience to such an extent that we've inherited his guilt and his moral corruption. Okay? And man in this fallen state of sin uses his gifts a lot of times for evil purposes. Neither the naturalistic worldview nor the alternative religions of the world do as good a job as the Bible does of explaining the world's greatest riddle, which is people, mankind. And so worldviews really do matter, folks. They inform how we look at ultimate issues. We all have them, and yet not all worldviews are created equal. We looked at deferring views of God and, and, and we, we looked at, the, you know, there are definite signs that all religions can't be teaching the same essential uh, message. And lastly, we've looked at three ways of arguing for God's existence and um, that God uniquely accounts for the physical universe's beginning, the order complexity and design in the universe and the enigma, which is man. So let's pray. That was a lot. Lord, it's a lot to take in. It's kind of like drinking drinking from a fire hydrant in a sense. But regardless, Lord, I ask that the things that were spoken tonight, the things that were explained, um, I ask that you, by your Spirit, would take them and um, help us think about them and apply them to our lives when we're, when we're just thinking alone, when we're talking to people. Uh, and when, and even in our disciple making, um, help us, Lord, bring in these truths to bear uh, on how we live and interact with uh, precious human beings. And so, Lord, I, uh, I thank you for this night. Pray for Sandra. Uh, she's been not feeling well. We ask that you would heal her body. Um, Lord, that you would uh, bring her true shalom, that her rest would be real and felt uh, tonight that she would wake up tomorrow morning just refreshed. And uh, we just thank you for all your goodness toward us. God, even though you don't need us, oh, you love us, and you wanted us. That is amazing. Amazing. Amen. If you guys have any questions, um, feel free. to ask how was that was that how did I do what did you think okay I mean was was some of this stuff hard to understand it's not a Sunday morning right right you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it was, uh, uh, to hear it all, and then, and then, uh, and then we continue on as we continue on. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to, uh, get everything and catch up with, uh, I mean, like it's losing life. And it's the first time hearing what you said. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Don't be discouraged. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, I I just, um, that's one reason why we want to give you guys the notes so that you can go over it because I, you know, as I go over my notes as as I'm preparing, this stuff gets, sinks into me even more as well. So I definitely understand the need to think about things. And yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Right. Right.
Well, you, well, when I hear you, it makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Well, I want to encourage you. Uh, number one, you pray. <laughs> you continue to pray. Number two, um, look at the notes when you get them. And, 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 and read up. And, and read it and, and think about it and meditate it and let it sink in and, and talk about it with other people too. The more you talk about things, the more they sink in and the, the clearer they get for you. Definitely for me. And, um, um, you know, and don't be afraid to not know. Here's something I always want to encourage people. You know, if you don't know, say, I don't know, but I'll, I'll get back to you on that. You know, in other words, don't be afraid of not knowing. That's one extreme. Another extreme is, you know, don't go in completely and totally with no knowledge at all. And that's why you're here. Because um, you want to be able to winsomely, but um, with wisdom, uh, uh, you know, bring the knowledge that you have to bear, you know, in, in that person's life. And, you know, just ask, let them do the work. Um, this book will help you do that more than any book that I know of. It'll teach you how to ask questions. How to ask questions. We don't ask enough questions. We, we, we think we have to do all the work. You don't. Are you going to bring that book back to Yeah, if you guys, yeah. I guess I can. Um, We'll ask your son. What's his name? George. Okay. George, why do you think that? How did you, how did you come to that conclusion? Your intelligence. No, 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 no. Okay, wait. Your intelligence. What is intelligence, George? Let's role play. What is intelligence, George? So you just ask, well, what is intelligence? See, you don't even have to know. You just, you're, what you're doing is you're asking him to define his terms. You're not just letting him assert things. You are making him do the work that most Christians never make anybody do that says, oh, Christianity, give me a break. Get out of my face. Make him do the work, man. What is intelligence? The capacity to think. And what is and what is thought? Is thought, you know, what is it? I'm asking a metaphysical question right now. What is thought? Is thought physical or is thought immaterial? Now we're in a philosophic conversation. Now we're in worldviews. Okay? And I don't even have to use the Bible to talk to him to, to advance my worldview from Scripture that... You know, I am not just a body, but I am also a soul. I have a soul. Okay? But if all I am is, is just matter and that's it, then there's a lot of things that you're going to have to explain. For example, um, your birthday. Anybody uh, have a birthday lately? Did you celebrate your birthday? Anybody here? Yes? No? no. That's right. She's, her birthday's coming up. Okay. One of the things we know... Yes? Sure. One of the things we know is that we do not look anything like we did when we were in our mother's womb, right? And a lot of us, we don't look anything like we did when we were one and two and three, right? Because we know that every seven years, again, I don't know this, I'm taking it on authority. Science tells us that every seven years, your cells reproduce. So in theory, and in, in matter of fact, if all you are is a body and there is no immaterial side to you, um, um, celebrating your birthday is nonsensical because that's not you. But if there is an immaterial side to you, in other words, you're not just a body, but you are a soul, then you have something that's called an enduring eye, your identity. There is something about you that isn't physical. 
There is something about you that's immaterial. And now, naturalistic science has nothing to say. Because it only looks at the created order. It only, supposedly, it only deals with that which is physical. Okay? Like the cosmos, universe. So when you're talking to somebody like George, uh, you know, um, make them do the work. You know, and one of the best ways to learn how to do this is to listen, for me, is to listen to people doing it. And there's so many resources you can get. If you want, I can, I can tell you where, where to go for resources like this. Because especially with the Internet now, there's so many resources we have. So many. Okay? Sure. That's it. All right. That's it. Okay. Thank you for coming. Do I bring my guitar next week? I don't mind. Okay, no, that's fine. I understand. Yeah, next, the next few weeks, I think it's all scheduled out. Okay. Okay, great. Of course, Brad is excellent. Well, I, I found, he told me, yeah. Um, One of the finest. And I don't know why he didn't, I don't know why he didn't lead us into the throne room tonight, but I'm not going to hold it against you. Well, it's, it's hard running sound. <laughs> I know, I get it. I know. Yes, you're not omnipresent, huh? That's right, bro. That's funny. Um, yeah, so I think we're, we should be good. Uh, barring any emergency, you know, we should be good the rest of Okay. Time, what I'm going to do, nonetheless, is I'm going to just be prepared just in case. All right. Okay. Sure. And um, so. Multi-talented. Well, I mean, you just kind of, you're welcome. What's your name? Keith. Keith. Were you here last week? Okay. Totally spaced out, really. No excuse. I just really? Totally forgot. It's like Wednesday. Oh, that was last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, glad you came. Thank you. Glad I'm you came. Well, you can get the notes, too. I, I did. Grab great, them. great. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Yeah. You're going to get the notes.